Well, I felt like I was really led in worship today, and thank you, team. I had to adjust myself a little bit because the last five weeks I was in these big American churches in Mesa where you get smoke rising and light shows, and, <laughs> and it took a week or two to get used to that, to settle down. And <laughs> I love to be led into worship. <laughs> well, this morning, you know, I'd like to share a message with you from... Um, that great New Testament letter we call Hebrews. Uh, but before I do, I, I thought I'd just once again say that it's been a really great privilege to uh, be on staff here for 26 and a half years. And I just want to briefly tell you why this morning. And, and I'll never do this completely because there's too many things I'd like to share. But first of all, I want to share, it's just been so delightful to be part of a church that has people of all ages. I mean, we've got new babies in our church right now, and we actually have a a person who was with us for 20 years at Camlet Seniors Home, he just had his 100th birthday. And I just love to see people of all ages in a church. And you know, also, here's another thing. People from so many different countries. I think we counted one Sunday, it was actually 37 different countries. May it always be so. Secondly, I think your growing concern for those who are outside of faith. I just love that passion. And you guys have started so many programs over the years, like Alpha. How many, don't, how many times that's been run in the church? Uh, your community Christmas event, uh, marriage seminars and picnics in the park, all these things with a handout to the community. I think we always need to have a hand in and a handout. And I'm so glad that this church has insisted on that. And, and to also your passion for the less fortunate. It just continues to grow. Think of Gerald going downtown with his team to work with the homeless and, and uh, Mustard Seed. And you, you guys have been committed to that uh, organization for, for years. It's gone through three name changes, and you're still hanging in there with the Mustard Seed. And, and then I think, you know, we saw some pictures here today. Uh, when Pastor Dave Moore came in our community, and he says, we're going to Mexico. And you went down there, and I think eventually there was 37 to 40 people going at a time. 87 houses are built down there now. And yes, we paid outrageous prices for pies to buy the houses. They were about $700 to $1,000 U.S. each. And I got to tell you, I don't think all of you know this, but there was a fellow who was part of our church, and he so loved what we did. And he moved to Kelowna, but he gave me $1,000. And I was to bid on everything and drive the prices up. <laughs> and he would say... I don't want a pie. I don't want a pie. And when it's all is said and done, whatever's left, just hand in. And so they would raise, what, six, $7,000 to build these homes. And, you know, 240 people went over those many, many years. And then, you know, we followed it up by going down to Mexico now to work with this family that's caring for, oh, boy, abused young women and and children, it's just so beautiful to watch and in Fort Providence. And I have to say, when I reflect on my 26 and a half years here, is that I think these mission trips have so incredibly changed our DNA. Uh, I just love to hear the joy when people come. Hey, people come to faith on those mission trips. And they come back and get baptized. And they go into ministry. It, they have so impacted us. May we always stay on mission. And, you know... Um, 
Another thing that I really thought was so beautiful, there's a group of you who say, we're supporting a Syrian refugee family. And you know, that was a $30,000 bill, but the money just came in and you did it. And then there was a group of people who surrounded that family and just stayed with them week after week, helping them adjust to the culture, the language. And they were people, they were, they were of, not of our faith, but you loved them. And I can still remember the, seeing them sitting here and, and, and the, the mother of those children just smiling. I think she heard about Jesus in a real clear way. And fifthly, I got to say this. Um, I, don't sit, I haven't sat on the board for five years now, but our board has made some such great decisions over the years. And the first one I re remember was this. We don't give any money away. And someone says, we got to start right now giving money to missions in this city and beyond. And so we started doing it, adding a percent a year until we got to 10. I think we got to 10 quicker than that. And that was a landmark decision, I think, in the life of the church. And then the, a deacon said, you know what? We need a contingency fund because things break. And so we started this contingency fund of 2% of our budget. And every time something broke down here, the money was sitting in the bank. We didn't have to pass the plate again. And some of those tickets were really big expenses, $32,000 roof, $18,000 worth of furnaces. And what a great decision. I so thank God for deacons. Yeah, they have to go out on those middle of the winter nights and leave their family. I thank their spouses as well who served here on the church and on our board. Let's continue to pray for them. And there are so many other decisions they make. Hey, here's another one. Pastor Dave and the board decided, we're going to try to keep this church going during COVID. That was so incredibly complicated. Oh, my goodness. But they never gave up. They never gave up. We'd, <laughs> we'd drive in church, hey? That was, that was going way back. I remember I was part of a church that had drive-in services in the 60s. But, <laughs> but what was really funny about our drive-in church is that people had to bring down sleeping bags to be sitting out there. I think it was close to freezing on some of those mornings. I don't know how the guitar players played their instruments. Sixthly, I think the generosity of the church, uh, both in time and in resources. You know, we used to have a goal that 80% of the people who were in our directory would have an identifiable ministry, and of course, COVID kind of uh, disrupted that terribly. But I hope we can get back to that, that everyone has this place in the church, that they minister in some small way, and no one should be getting burned out because we're all on team. We're all on the team. And then I think of resources, friends. I look back at 26 and a half years. Not once did we cancel a program for lack of resources. Uh, my first church experience in Surrey, we had a cut, make some of those tough decisions, but we've never had a cut a program for lack of resources. And then all of a sudden, this benevolent thing started happening, and, and now we can need a committee of five people to decide how to give $20,000 away to the most needy in our community. I'm so grateful. It, oh, is it ever fun to be the one who gets to decide to give it away? That, that's a great committee to be on. And in fact, it's full right now, but there's a lineup if you want to sign to get on that committee. Just kidding. Hey, and you know, I have to say this. My favorite Sundays of all are baptism Sundays. And there was this one year when we had Pastor Jordan Pilgrim here, and I think it was 15 to 20 people got baptized. And actually, I phoned him yesterday, and I caught him cutting his lawn. And he says, Harry, there was 20 one year. Jordan had this ability to call people to decision. And, and I was reminded this week that Pastor Ben was one of those people that was baptized uh, by Pastor Jordan. 
You know, it's like after the baptism service is over, I can just go home. That, that's it, you know. You just heard these wonderful testimonies. You just saw it's great Sundays. And eighthly here, the, the way you've handled tragedies and adversities, and boy, have we known both tragedy and adversity. And I guess in regards to adversity, I've come back to uh, COVID restrictions, and uh, Cindy Ruberg told me, uh, oh, in the month of March, that uh, she's one of the co-commanders with Aaron here. They kept Awana going, and it was so incredibly difficult. But recently, a grandparent came up to them and gave all the staff, what, a gift card to Tim's or something, just to say thank you for staying the course. <laughs> I'm so grateful for people to stay the course when it's not convenient. And finally, I could say so much more, but I just want to say this. I got a chance because I was here so often. When you're on staff, you're at church, right? But I watch people loving God and loving people behind the scenes. And there's so much of that that goes on. I remember one day, this lady came in quickly and dropped the box in the kitchen and kind of ran out, and I kind of caught her, only to find out she had brought a gift for the kitchen, and she didn't want anyone to know what she was bringing in. So I saw a lot of that, and so I'm so very grateful for that. Well, now, let me invite you to open up your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. The last nine months, I've been studying Hebrews verse for verse, all because of a conversation I had with Caleb Lippman. We were talking during COVID, and he says, well, here's what I do at this time of year. I always like to read the book of Hebrews. And he got me interested in it. So I started studying it, and it's been a nine-month journey, and I've been working through it with about 15 guys on Tuesday mornings and going verse by verse. I think we have three weeks left, a 22-week journey through this great letter. You know, the, the Blue Jays have this thing on TV called Blue Jays in 30. In many ways, you're going to get Hebrews in 30 today. And, uh, but I'm going to focus in on one verse. Chapter 3, verse 1. And here it is. Here it is. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priests. Let me just read it again, and I just ask you to invite the Lord to teach you from this verse here this morning. It is such a great verse. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. In this single verse of scripture, the author calls Christians from not only the first century, but from our century today, in every century, to stay focused on Jesus because he believes it will help them stay faithful to God regardless whether they're living in difficult times or tremendous positive times. In the case of the first century recipients, they found themselves in negative, dangerous waters for they lived under the oppressive regime of the Roman Emperor Claudius who forced the all the Jews out of Rome in the year 49 AD, and that included a lot of Jewish Christians. Luke the historian writes about this in Acts chapter 18, 12, where we read that a couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla had recently come from Rome because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome, Acts 18, 2. And of course, this fact is also documented in the encyclopedia of the ancient Roman Empire where they quote a fellow by the name of Suetonius, 
who talks about Christians being expelled from Rome because they were following the teachings of this person called Jesus. Furthermore, the book of Hebrews talks about the persecution Christians were facing at that time as well. In chapter 10, we read that they were publicly ridiculed, persecuted. They had their property confiscated. Can you imagine what that would be like for us right now in our overinflated homes? That's a lot of money. But they had their property confiscated, and some were even put in prison because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. So in response to all the circumstances they were facing, negative circumstances they were facing, the author challenged them. The author challenged them to fix their thoughts on Jesus for all that Christ had, come, had, had done for them on the cross so that they would not, so that they would not, and now I'm quoting the author. There's a slide here. So that they would not drift away, so that they would not turn away from the living God, so that they would not fall away, so that they would not trample the Son of God underfoot, in other words, make light of his work on the cross, so that they would not shrink back from a life of faith, so that they would not grow weary and lose heart, and so that they would not turn away from him, that is God, to quote or use the very words of the author of Hebrews. To say the very least, the author was passionately writing to his audience so that they would stay loyal to God. So he exhorts them, fix your thoughts on Jesus, for he will most certainly help you to stay faithful to God in the midst of persecution. Or in the case of Christians living in Canada here today, yes, fix your thoughts on Jesus, for he will most certainly help us stay committed to God in a culture that is so full of distractions that would seek to draw us away from loving God and living out his will in our time of history. So this morning, I would like to now take a deeper look into the details of this single verse of Scripture. The verse begins with the word, therefore. And when we see the word, therefore, we are being asked to do either do something or to think in a certain way based on what was previously said. And in the case of chapter 3, verse 1, this is what was previously said. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those being tempted. Yes, because he himself was suffered, that is Jesus, when he was tempted, he is able to help those being being tempted. So then the therefore of chapter 3 verse 1 refers back to this verse which wonderfully informs us that Jesus is able to help us in times of temptation. A truth that is found at least three times in this great letter we call Hebrews. Friends, Jesus really wants to help us when we're tempted. So the next time you are tempted, sometimes this afternoon, ask for his help. Ask for his help. Yes, ask the one who perfectly resisted temptation throughout his life to help you right now where you're at. He is passionately wanting to help you overcome temptation. This verse also has something important to say about our identity as Christ's followers. 
in this verse, we are called holy brothers and sisters. Keep the amens coming at the right time. Thank you. Yes, we are holy in the sense that we've been set apart for God's good purposes. You know, I think of Ephesians 2.10 that says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to do. We're holy in the sense we've been set apart, but I think the author is getting at something else here. He's talking about the fact that we are holy in this sense because Jesus has actually purified us from our sins. They're no longer part of us. They're gone. In the opening verses of this great letter, we read this sentence. After he had provided purifications for sins, he, that is Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Don't you love that word that's used for God in this verse? He's majesty. That's who we were worshiping this morning. And Jesus is right at his right hand right now. And he is the one who provided purification for our sins. Also in chapter 10, verse 10, we read this. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus. Friends, if the letter of Hebrews makes anything clear to us, it is this. God purifies us from our sins. He makes us holy. He forgives us and remembers our sins no more. He does away with our sins. He takes our sins away. He makes us perfect. And he does so through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Again, to quote the author himself. And that's why I so love the fact that we have a cross here now at the center of our stage. Years ago, you know, I had just finished reading John Stott's book on the cross and I really wanted a neon cross put on this church. I don't know what that would do to our community. Maybe they wouldn't appreciate a big neon cross. But I've got this cross now. We've got this cross. We used to have a little one over here. Now we've got this one front and center. And this screen doesn't hide it anymore. Because everything we have good comes from the cross. What Christ did for us on the cross. So be fully convinced, friends. The cross of Christ is God's way of dealing with the sins of the whole world. And that includes ours. And in my understanding, the inspired author of this New Testament letter was saying to his first century audience and to us today, do not revert back to any type of spirituality that doesn't acknowledge Christ's work on the cross. Yes, do not revert back to any type of spirituality that doesn't acknowledge Christ's work on the cross. Therefore, fix your eyes on Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. And yes, and what the letter of Hebrews makes so very clear is that through the cross, we have been made holy. I hope you see yourself as that today, that you are holy in God's eyes right this very moment because you have embraced Christ's work on the cross. You know, as I was reflecting on this really rather deep conviction, I wrote this sentence down, and maybe it's an overstatement. Some of you can challenge me on it later, and I'm fine with that. It may be a bit of an overstatement, but I'm going to read it to you because I still feel it's true. It is the height of human arrogance to see yourself as anything less than holy if you have entrusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let me illustrate what I've just said. About a month ago, the number one ranked golfer in the world 
Scotty Scheffler, was incredibly nervous the morning of the final round of the Masters, which he went on to win, by the way. As he said in his post-game interview, on the morning of the final round, I was crying like a baby. I told my wife, Meredith, that I did not feel it was my time to win the Masters. In response, she said to me, you do not have the right to say if it's your time to win or not to win. Only God does. By the way, this is a beautiful Christian couple who so wonderfully shared their faith with probably 30 million golf fans following his victory at the Masters. Well, I want to tell you, I share that story with you today because there are times in our walk with Christ that we struggle to believe, that we struggle to believe all that God has done for us on the cross. In those moments when we question ourselves, am I really holy in God's eyes? And friends, our answer always must be yes. For through Christ's work on the cross, we have been made holy. We are holy brothers and sisters. Amen. It's part of our identity. And we do not have the right to tell God that Christ's work on the cross is insufficient to make us holy. We do not have that right. Although we will still most certainly struggle with sin until the day we meet Jesus, God presently sees us as holy because, what? because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Well, this verse also says that we have a heavenly calling. In the letter to Hebrews, our final destination is described in a variety of ways, encouraging ways, by the way. Here's what it says. Our final destination is a place where we have better and lasting possessions. Isn't that an interesting way of describing our future? I've got a two-year-old Nissan Rogue, and I really like that vehicle. Like, but you know what? It's starting to wear out already. And I know it won't last as long as a Toyota, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we have a heavenly country. Our destination is described as a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Our final destination is a better country. I think we live in a great country. But our future country is far, far better. We live in a kingdom, we're going to have a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a city that is to come. So I think it's safe to say, friends, that God has something far better than we are presently experiencing right now. The first century Christians needed to hear this because they were losing their possessions. They were losing their country. I think the followers of Christ in Ukraine need to hear this. And I'm sure there's Ukrainian Christians who are enjoying the scriptures, and these scriptures are ministering to them today because they've lost their country. They've lost so incredibly much right now. And I want to say, friends, despite the fact that we have incredible freedoms and privileges as Canadians, we need to hear this too. We need to hear this too. Therefore, do not let the tragic events of our world overwhelm you. Do not let gloom and doom predictions rob you of your joy that you have in Christ. 
And do not expect your favorite political party, and I'm speaking mostly to Americans right now. <laughs> I spend so much time about them. Don't expect your favorite political party to bring about the kingdom of God. That's not going to happen. Not to be misunderstood, I believe that every one of us must work every day to make this world a better place through our everyday just little acts of kindness. Likewise, I believe we all must work for the betterment of our world through our vocations. As I was driving back from Arizona last week, it occurred to me that builders make our world a better place. They build homes for us to live in, apartment complexes, rapid transit, highways. I'm watching them rebuild the Coke so they can get to Vancouver quicker. They build hospitals. They, do so, they bless our socks off. If you're a builder, thank you for being a builder. And this past week also, I've been thanking God for the medical community because I watched nurses and doctors and a surgeon repair my wife's broken femur. Amazing, the service we got. And furthermore, I want to also thank God for politicians who really go out their way to make their communities, to make their provinces and countries better places to be. But when all is said and done, human effort will not bring about the kingdom of God where everything will be as it should be. And until then, friends, we're not in heaven. Thus the wisdom of this verse. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. For in doing so, you'll often be reminded. You will often be reminded that God has something far better for us. In this regard, I've come to appreciate this quote from the pen of Thomas Aquinas. There is no middle ground. Our faith must be passionately focused on Christ. Let me read that again. There is no middle ground. Our faith must be passionately focused on Christ or we become earthbound, caught up with concerns and pleasures and friends who will inevitably fail us. That is not to say we will not have faithful friends or be faithful friends. But our human friends cannot do for us what Jesus can do for us. Only Jesus can be a perfect friend. Don't put that pressure on your friends to be perfect. Only Jesus can save us from our sins. And most certainly, only Jesus can bring us into the very presence of God where everything will be as it should be. So until then, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Think about him throughout your day. Think about his teachings. And think about his example of how faithful he was to the mission that he was on. It was so difficult mission. But he stayed focused and he was faithful to that. Well, this verse also says something about, well, two titles. It's given two titles to Jesus. And by, by the way, both of these titles will lead us back to the cross. In calling Jesus our apostle, I think we're caught a bit off guard, and so should we be, because this is the only place in the entire Bible where he's called the apostle. When we think of apostles, we're thinking, what, of Peter, and Paul, and those fellows. But by calling Jesus our apostle, I believe the author wants us to think of Jesus in terms of the ultimate sent one, the ultimate apostle. For only Jesus was sent from the Father to earth to die for the sins of this world. Finally, 
Jesus is called our high priest. And that term, I, I, it's hard for me to resonate with it other than when I'm reading the scriptures. If you're new to the Bible, I would think in terms of the high priest, if you hear that word, as a person who brings you into God's presence, or maybe a little more down-to-earth term, he's the person who's got your back. No one's got your back like Jesus does. However, if you're a Bible reader, you understand this term here in in all its richness. He was a very important person in the Old Testament community. He represented the people in all matters related to God, and once a year, yes, on the Day of Atonement, he would go into the portable sanctuary or the more permanent sanctuary in Jerusalem and offer up a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it's important to note that he, first of all, had to offer a sacrifice for himself because he, like any other high priest, was also a sinner. Now, in sharp contrast to these earthly, mortal high priests, Jesus did not have to offer offer up a sacrifice for himself because he was, in fact, what? Sinless. And more importantly, the sacrifice that Christ offered up for the sins of the whole world was not an animal. It was himself. He gave himself. Yes, the sinless Son of God took the sins of the whole world upon himself and received the punishment our sins deserved, making forgiveness and reconciliation possible. The centrality of the cross, friends, to the Christian faith. So I asked this morning, have you embraced him as your Savior? Friends, he is God's solution to the regret, to the guilt, and alienation from God we experience because of sin. You know, likely there's at least someone here this morning who hasn't yet embraced Jesus because I know that because one day, many years ago, I was that person. I'm so thankful for a person who presented that gospel to me. And I embraced Christ, and it took me a while to figure it out, probably about another nine years before I really began to follow him. Today, I would so encourage you to embrace Christ if you sense God is calling you to yourself today through Christ. You know, the great uh, evangelist Billy Graham would often end his crusades with this simple prayer, and I'm going to read it today here. And just maybe someone might pray it along with me here today. Here's the prayer he would use. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins, and now I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your name, amen. Amen. When people pray prayers like this, they embark on an incredible spiritual journey that will ultimately bring them into Christ's likeness. Regardless of how much brokenness there is in their life right now, this is where they're headed, into Christ's likenesses and ultimately into God's very presence. Well, I must conclude. I think this single verse has a lot to teach us. It gives us clear direction or clear insight into our identity. We are holy brothers and sisters. And that could begin another sermon. Brothers and sisters, we're family. Let's treat each other as family. 
You know, I spent some time with my 91-year-old mother-in-law this last week. They came here up from the States and lived here for six years. And you know that every Sunday, she made it her goal to get to know someone new here. And they did that and did that. She started a widow's ministry. And I so was encouraged by her, the way she looked at the body of Christ. They were family, they were people that I need to get to know. But back to this idea that we are holy in God's sight. Be assured, friends, that our holy, awesome, heavenly Father sees us as holy because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. This verse also instructs us, friends, that we have an incredible future. We have a heavenly calling. For ultimately, we have better and lasting possessions. We have a better country, a better city which means our present world, in all its glory and brokenness, is only temporary. And I should say tainted glory. We see the glory of God in creation, but it's tainted. We know that. Just watch the weather channel at night. But most importantly, I think this verse of Scripture calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Yes, make a daily decision to think about Jesus. The one person who never sinned, the one person who died for the sins of the whole world, the one person who can make us holy in God's eyes. And yes, in keeping with the author's original tension, we want to fix our eyes in Jesus, for he is the greatest example of faithfulness to the Father's will this world has ever known. He just kept doing the Father's will. Let us let his example inspire us. And as the letter of Hebrews also says, Friends, we've got to take it upon ourselves to encourage one another to live out God's will right now and to stay faithful. Amen. Amen. Amen.